Good afternoon, brethren. And once again, another week, another week we went through, and who would believe it? Today we are on the last Sabbath of this calendar year, on this Roman calendar year, the last Sabbath of the year. Next time, we'll meet together here at the same time. We'll be on, in a new 2021 Roman calendar year. And as always, happy Sabbath to all of you, a blessed Sabbath to all of you, and thank you again for choosing us for tuning in to our broadcast here, coming at 2.30 time here from Canada. And I know that you are watching us from all over the place, from North America, from Europe, from Australia, from Asia, from all over the place. And again, thank you for being so faithful and so loyal to all of us. May God bless you all, and hopefully you're going to enjoy another Sabbath broadcast here coming from Burlington and Ottawa, as we are here in our part of the region here. We are all under the severe lockdown procedure starting actually yesterday from last night. So thank you again for being us with here. And as always, if you pay attention, as I said, it's last Sabbath of this month. And we are only three months or 90 days away before the Passover feast. 90 days away. So time is definitely flying by. And before we proceed with our order of service here, our last pastor, Jim French from Ottawa Congregation, to lead us into the opening prayer today. So please bow your heads. Holy Father in heaven, um, great God, great knowledgeable God, great loving God, God our healer, we come so thankful before your throne on the Sabbath, as uh, Jan had mentioned, um, we're from the Burlington congregation and the Ottawa congregation. We asked the service to pull us together, but there are also people, Father, from all around the world that are able to tune in uh, through the internet. And so we ask that you uh, be with each of those people as we're um, coming together to worship you, to sing praises to your name, and to hear a message of edification for us, Father, that you prepared for us. So we ask that you uh, be with uh, Pastor Adrian as he delivers the message and help us to understand uh, all the uh, meaning that he has for us and, and help to put it into our lives as well. As uh, Jan mentioned, we're in a lockdown situation now, and, and so there's a lot of stress that people are going through, and we hope that your people can be a light to the rest of the world, to show them that, that there's hope out there and that, that we have a peace in us that comes from knowing, knowing you and knowing your word and knowing that, that there's a positive outcome ahead of us. So we thank you for this service. We ask you to put your blessing on it to inspire us with this service, and we thank you for this through our High Priest, the Lamb of God, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for the opening prayer. I'll have to, now we have a hymn now, and right after hymn now we go to Scripture. So I'll give you a, a heads up, a warning. If you have your Bible open, just, if you have your Bible, just please, please open it to Malachi chapter 3, to the Scripture reading, Malachi chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. And the scripture will be read to us by, past, by, by, by Brother Eric Dormer from the Oral Congregations. But before we go to the scripture reading, we have a hymn. And if you have a hymnal, please turn to page 17. If you don't, if you don't have it, that's okay. It will be, the words will be projected on your screen. Just follow us and sing along. We'll sing, we gather together on page 17 and right after the scripture for the day.
You have said it is useless to serve God. What proof is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who mediate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Thank you, Brother Eric. Thank you so much. I'll just cover some some announcements, and we don't have many announcements for this week. And just as always, please remember the the, the midweek Bible study on Wednesday, the same time at 7:30 will take place, and Pastor Agent will continue finish, finishing the Psalms 94 and going into the Psalms 95. Wednesday at 7:30 Eastern Time, the Bible study, and please join us again next week for a Sabbath service here. At the same time, 2.30 Easter time. So at this time, we'll have another hymn. And right after the hymn, we'll go to the main message of today by Pastor Agent Davis entitled, Charity Begins at Home. Charity Begins at Home by Pastor Agent David. But before the main message, we'll have another hymn. And this hymn is on page 57. And the word will be projected on your screen again. Open my eyes that I may see.
Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Sabbath service. It's hard to believe, as uh, Deacon Jan was just saying that, just 90 days to go before we come to the Passover. And uh, it's just amazing how fast this year has gone. This is the last Sabbath service in the Roman calendar uh, of 2020. And, you know, when we began 2020, uh, it was just, we, we could not foresee uh, the events of this year. Uh, we, you know, we, we hardly began the, the year, and we were informed that we were facing this global pandemic, and that consequently uh, we would be unable to meet in person. So we had to pivot very quickly and just figure out very quickly how can we continue to serve God's people? How can we continue to assemble and, and worship our God despite these new obstacles? We were told it would be two weeks to flatten the curve. And here we are now, some eight months later, uh, still meeting virtually. And now here in Ontario, uh, we are facing, a, beginning today, a 28-day uh, pretty severe lockdown. And, and, you know, we keep doing this, and it has consequences, which are significant. And uh, unfortunately, we have to adapt. Now... We know, Pastor Murray, Pastor Jim, Deacon Jan and I, we, we know that God's people win in the end. But what concerns us, brethren, is between here and the finish line, many of God's people will fail. And so our job is to ensure that as few as possible as, of those who we are responsible for fail, if hopefully zero. And uh, Pastor Murray actually said in his last message, using the sports analogy, that, you know, for those who are running a race, uh, we stand between them and going off course, saying, no, you know, make sure you get back on the right path. Christ tells us that we're to judge by the fruit. And the fruit of these lockdowns, it's not good. As a result of these lockdowns, brethren, there's been an increase in depression, domestic abuse, Serious child abuse, alcoholism, drug abuse, job losses, uh, business closures, even suicides. We in God's church may not be facing any of this, but then again, we may be. And I'm particularly sensitive to the issue of domestic abuse, as I, I have not kept it secret that I grew up in a home uh, of domestic abuse. And if anybody out there listening to me is facing that, seek help. Uh, my mother was able to f- talk to somebody who was able to get us out of the situation that we were in. But don't be afraid to reach out and get help. Although we may not face these physical issues, I think what we have to be particularly on guard against is spiritual malaise. So think about your congregation. And as we've gone through all these various lockdowns, and certainly here in Ontario, we're going to another 28 days of a severe lockdown. I'm not sure what the situation is uh, for those of you listening to me, as we we know that many of us uh, from all around the world are listening. So maybe the situation is different for you. But have you seen in your congregation low attendance, irregular attendance, or no attendance, whether you're meeting in person or virtually. Uh, Maybe you've seen a lack of creativity, that there's really no desire or effort 
uh, to fellowship virtually or in person. Uh, when we do fellowship virtually, maybe people don't show up on camera at all, and they're just sort of in the wings listening in. Or people who do show up are dominate and take over and, and, and push others out and are not listening to others. And even brethren getting caught up in this current world, this current evil world, and its movements. Have you seen any of this? Brethren, if you have, I certainly have seen some of it, we should be very concerned. So 2020 is about to be behind us. Do we have any reason to believe that 2021 is going to be a return to normal? Or are we going to face more obstacles, maybe greater obstacles? So if we've had trouble adapting to the new normal of 2020, how are we going to adapt to the demands of 2021? So as we head into 2021, and this our last Sabbath service together of 2020, what I'd like to do, beloved, is to encourage all of us to begin thinking about how we can adapt to face the obstacles of the future. Who knows what's coming? What is going to be thrown at us? Whatever it is, brethren, we have to adapt. In 2015, the Canadian ministry developed a strategic plan, and we called it Vision 2025. And then the premise of the plan was that the world would be a completely different place in 10 years. From 2025 and beyond, we would be living in a very different world from anything we had known previously. And as a result, the demands on the ministry would be totally different. And we couldn't assume that the practices and the methods of the past would be effective in the future. And therefore, we had to begin preparing immediately for the new reality. Here we are five years later in 2020, and, and we are experiencing changes that we, far faster than we had imagined and that we could not have imagined. And, and now that we're here in 2020, five years in, it's not just the ministry now that has to be adapting to these unprecedented changes. But, beloved brethren, you must as well. I remember many years ago, I don't remember exactly when, but I read this book from Alvin Toffler. Some of you may be familiar with it. And it's called Future Shock. It was written in the 70s. And, and the premise behind this book was that there's this notion called culture shock where if somebody were to pick us up and drop us in the middle of a foreign culture where they speak a different language and do everything differently, our brains would actually put us into a shock because there's no, or we, have, we would be completely disoriented. There's no anchor for us. Everything is completely foreign. We would go into culture shock and in a sense become paralyzed. And, and he took that notion but applied it to the future. And he said that the future was coming at us at so fast a pace that we would wake up one day and find ourselves in a world that we don't recognize at all. And many would go into a state of future shock and become paralyzed. You know, that's kind of what we're beginning to see now. The changes are just so rapid and one change enables another and it just keeps uh, accelerating. And the question for us, brethren, is can we keep up? Jeremiah faced significant change in his day, in the day of his ministry. And he appealed to God regarding this rapid change that he was facing. We're going to go to Jeremiah 12 to see how he appealed to God 
regarding these accelerated changes that he was facing and how God responded to him. And maybe in the exchange between Jeremiah and God, we can understand maybe God's expectations of us today in the latter days. In Jeremiah 12, and verse 1, Jeremiah says to God, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. So he acknowledges God's righteousness. And this is very similar to what we, the sentiment we read in many of the Psalms. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk with you of your judgments. So there's something about your judgments, God, that, uh, you know, do, do, would you uh, excuse me if I question your judgments? Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk with you of your judgments. Wherefore, does the way of the wicked prosper? Why is this? I'm I'm looking at the situation. And those who are wicked, those who don't know you, or those who turn turn their backs on you, they seem to be doing quite well. And those of us who are trying to follow your ways, we're not doing so well. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are all they happy that deal very treacherously? So they've crossed over to the treacherous side. They're guilty of treason. And yet it appears like they're being blessed. He says, you have planted them, God. It's like you've established them. You've allowed them to be prosperous. You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bring forth fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their reins. But you, O Lord, know me, and you've seen me and tried my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Do you feel like this sometimes, brethren? Like you're doing all you can to be right with God. Then there are those that do not regard him at all, and they seem to be prospering. And, and, and Jeremiah has reached the end of his patience. And he asked God to just take care of it. How long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are destroyed and the birds because they said he shall not see our last end. So they just feel like they can do anything they want. No issue for them. They're not accountable to anybody. Now God answers Jeremiah. And this is where I want us to think about how God might answer us if we are saying the pace of change is too much. We can't keep up. It seems like, you know, we're trying to follow you, but we're being disadvantaged. And those who don't care about you, well, they're doing fine. In fact, it looks like they're being blessed. How did God answer Jeremiah? Verse 5. Jeremiah, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein you trust, they wearied you, then how will you do in the swelling of Jordan? So so God is really like, okay, yeah, it's bad, Jeremiah, but you haven't seen anything yet. And if you're already tired, when this thing heats up, where are you going to be? So if you can't run with the footmen, What about when those on horses come? And now we're basically in a land of peace. And maybe we're beginning to complain. What about when war comes? 
when 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 um, the swelling of the Jordan, you can see, you know, the sort of the, the pride and the arrogance of Jordan comes. How will we do then? He says, verse six. For even your brethren and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. They want to kill you. These are your own people. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto you. Fair, fair words unto you. So this is such a tragic situation for Jeremiah, where the wicked prosper. It kind of brings to mind Habakkuk, when Habakkuk complained to God that the wicked were prospering. And God wasn't doing anything. And now Jeremiah is saying the same complaint. And we see the same complaint in the psalmists. So it would be no surprise if we feel the same way, brethren. And yet Christ tells us, brother shall betray brother. Brother shall hate brother. Brother shall cause brother to be put to death. So within the household of God, there is going to be treachery. We pray, not among any of us, but the church of God is bigger than just our organization. But God tells Jeremiah, look, they're after, they're, they want to kill you. you. You think it's bad now? Just wait. And then in verse 7 he says to Jeremiah, I have forsaken my house. This is God's house. These are God's people. God tells Jeremiah, look, I've forsaken them. And no matter what it looks like to you, it looks like they're, they're prospering. It looks like they're doing well. I want to tell you, they are so arrogant that they want to destroy you. And I also want to, to let you know, I have forsaken them. I have left my heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul. Listen to the pain of God. I've given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. And this is a pattern that we see over and over again, where God's people, in a sense, make love to foreigners. Israel went after Assyria and did everything she could to flatter Assyria. And God says, oh, you want Assyria? I'll give you Assyria. And then Judah, seeing the treachery of Israel, did the same thing with Babylon, only worse. And God says to Jerusalem, to Judah, oh, you want Babylon? I'll give you Babylon. So God takes Israel's lovers and he gives them to her. Will it be any different today? When we see God's people running after the world, chasing the world and defending the world, even against God's own people. God will say, you want the world? I'll give you the world. I have forsaken my heritage, he says. But there's always a remnant like Jeremiah. And brethren, if we're in that remnant, we're going to suffer. And if we begin to complain when we're running with the footmen, how will we manage when those on horses come? In Jeremiah 23... We see, who, who are these footmen that Jeremiah has to run with? Who are they? Jeremiah 23 and verse 15. He says, Therefore, <clears throat> thus says the Lord of hosts, concerning the prophets. Remember, this is the household of God, and these are the prophets. Behold, I will feed these prophets with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall for from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land thus says the Lord of hosts hearken not unto the words of the prophets 
that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They, they, they make you useless. Their, their message makes you useless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. And this is why, brethren, we're so careful to preach the word of God. Not give you our own ideas, but just to read the scriptures to you. Because these prophets who are false, who are going after their lovers and saying everything's fine with the world, and the world can integrate itself with the church, and the church can syncretize with the world, these are false prophets. They speak out of their own imagination and not from the word of God. And Christ tells us that in the last times, many false prophets will deceive many. Verse 17. They say still unto them that despise me. There are people that despise Jesus Christ. And yet these prophets stand up and say peace. They say, to, they say still unto them that despise me. The Lord has said, you shall have peace. You're good, you're fine. And they say unto everyone that walks after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. That's the exact opposite of the message that God wants put out there. God, God wants his wrath known. He says to Habakkuk, write it on a, on a tablet plainly so people can see that he may run that reads it. This is what the, the, the true prophets, and we're no prophets, but we have to uh, read what the prophets wrote and preach what the prophets spoke. And as, as representatives of God's word, we will be subjected to the hostility that the prophets were subjected to. Remember what Christ said to Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. In fact, he said, I, I have to make it to Jerusalem that it, it not be said that a prophet was killed outside of Jerusalem. So sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we forget that God is often in contention with his own people. He says here in verse 18, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who, who's willing to stand with God's word and say, no, these people do not represent God. They do not have a relationship with God. They are in hostility toward God, and they have nothing to do with God, and they must repent. Or, oh, yes, they're all, this, they're all part of Mankind is one big brotherhood, and, and we're going to go by race rather than spirit. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? And Jeremiah could say, I have. Well, here it is. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in what? In fury. This, this notion that Jesus Christ is this cuddly big brother that you can do whatever you like and he just forgives everything. No, Jesus Christ is coming back in fury. A whirlwind of the Lord and, and the righteous messengers of God are going to make this known. It may be inconvenient. It may not be what people want to hear, but it's what God has spoken. And when God's word is spoken faithfully, many turn to righteousness. And that is our job to turn many to righteousness. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he has executed. 
until he has performed the thoughts of his heart. So God has a counsel, he has a plan. He has thoughts in his heart of how he's going to handle his own treacherous people and the Gentile world. And then he inspires Jeremiah to write this. When? In the latter days, you shall consider it perfectly. So I may not want to hear these words. You may not want to hear these words. But God wants us to hear these words. And not only hear them, in the latter days, and I don't think there's any doubt that the world is accelerating to the end of this period of history. We are in the latter days. And we may not want to hear the prophecies of Jeremiah. We may not want to hear from Ezekiel or Isaiah or Habakkuk or Micah or any of the prophets. But God wants us to hear. And God wants us to use the words of these prophets to stamp out the false teachings of the false prophets, saying peace when there is no peace. He says, in the latter days, you shall consider it perfectly. So there is going to be a people reading Jeremiah in the end time, and really meditating, what does this all mean? How does this apply to our modern world? And then he says this to Jeremiah, in verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. These are the footmen that were wearying out Jeremiah. And he was complaining to God, bitterly. And God is saying, you're just running with the footmen. What will you do when the horses come? So there's going to be, when we know this, this horseman in, in, in the book of Revelation is going to be released and this deception is going to spread all over the world. And brethren are going to get caught up in deception. Well, God says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, remember, these words are not pleasant, but they're God's words. And God's faithful people want God's faithful words from God's faithful prophets through God's faithful teachers so that we can stand in his counsel. That there's a whole plan that God is working out that, that no one can withstand. That he says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying what? My counsel shall stand. Nobody can withstand God's counsel. So if they had stood in his counsel and had caused God's people to hear his words, even though they say, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us, bring us smooth things. God says, this is rough, but it's, it's for our betterment. If we understand God's counsel, what he's doing, and cause God's people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. And we know that those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars in heaven. So God wants us to turn people from their evil way. There is a way of Cain, where Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? I don't care about my brother. Well, you, I don't, well, how should I know where he is? There is a way of Cain. And then there's the way, Jesus Christ. We are followers of the way. And in his uh, message entitled, The Clock and the Compass, Pastor Murray exhorted us to pay attention to both. You know, some argue that you know, you've know you got to govern your life by the clock. And others argue, no, 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 you've got to govern it by the compass. And Pastor Murray says, you know what? We need both. 
It's because time is running out, the clock, what we see on the clock, that we prioritize looking at our compass. That when time is running out, you can't afford to get lost. If there's all the time in the world, you get lost, you, you find your way back again, no problem. But when time is running out, we can't afford to get lost. So the compass is what we need to keep us along the way. Before we were called Christians, we were called followers of the way. So there's something very sinister, brethren, about these new globalist policies that we see uh, governments around the world embracing that that just rejoice in showing us how worthless and harmful human beings are. And they rejoice in isolating us. uh, Many of you know I was in the UK for a while, uh, went over there with my wife as her father had died and we had to uh, bury him. And when we came back, of course, we had to go into quarantine. And it was just surprising to me how invasive the government of Canada was. That I remember years ago, I think it was uh, Pierre Trudeau who said, the government has no business in the bedrooms of Canadians. So what they do in their bedrooms, whether it's uh, homosexual or whatever it is, it's none of the government's business. Now, a man and his wife go to England and come back, and the government wants to know, am I sleeping in the same bed with my wife? If I did not go to the UK with her, they would want me to sleep in a separate bedroom. This is my wife. If she has COVID-19, I'm not going to have her sleeping by herself. But the government says, no, if you didn't go on this trip, you should be in a separate bedroom and have separate living conditions. It's all about isolation. And it's funny, you know, when God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, and he looked at his creation, everything was good. Except for one thing. There's only one thing that God created in Eden that God said it wasn't good. Everything else he created, he said it was good. So let's look at what that was. In Moses' account, as we look at this notion that it's not good for the man to be isolated. Isolation, while these governments of the world celebrate isolation and are pushing us towards isolation, God in fact says it's not good. And we see the institution of marriage as an uh, antidote to isolation. So I want us to understand this institution of marriage as an antidote to isolation and how God's plan for all of us is reflected in marriage. Let's see that this marriage is God's vision. Genesis 2. Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, And verse 18, and the Lord God said, the creator said this. This this is in Eden where everything he's creating is good. And then he says this, it is not good that the man should be alone. This is not good. Meanwhile, the government of Canada is telling me, if I did not go to the UK with my wife, that it would be good for me to be alone. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a help, and the, the language here in the King James is a bit awkward, a help meet for him. Uh, it's really, I'm going to make a counterpart for him that, will, that together they will be a unit of strength and fit for purpose. The, the, the woman is not just made as this tag-along, this sort of, oh, the weaker vessel that you just drag around. This is a very capable creation of God that is made as an exact complement 
for the man. And then God goes on to show how Adam, in verse 19, he, he sees the different uh, beasts of the field, and he names them. And then in verse 20, Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help or a counterpart for him. And, and this really burned in him this sense of isolation. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh instead thereof. And the, and the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman. So, so right from the man, he made this woman, brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She's a part of man. Together they are one. And Adam did not have any sense that this woman was in any way inferior to him. She was a compliment to him. And he fully understood the lesson. I don't know how long it took him to name all the animals of the field and to understand their essential nature in order to name them. But however long that project took, it really underlined for him his isolation, his loneliness. And then it really underlined for him the complementarity of the partner. And that is the basis of marriage. Now we see here in verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's what God says. And then the government wants to come in now, separate and isolate, and make us all stand alone, weak. That together we are strong. Isolated we are weak. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they weren't ashamed. Meaning there was lots of sexual activity, there was a full union here, they were strong together. And there was no sense of shame. It was a true, full partnership. And what we see from this, brethren, is that God has created human beings to be social creatures. We are not self-contained. And unfortunately, many of us in God's church believe that, oh, it's just me and God. I don't need anybody. No, God has created us to need others. And when we come into the church and we receive the Holy Spirit, we need others even more than the natural man, the natural human being. The natural human being is a social creature, a social creation that needs others. The spiritual human being, the supernatural human being imbued with the Holy Spirit needs others even more than the natural man. So God creates this man, creates a couple. From the couple, there's a family. From that family, new couples, new families, all in designed to interact socially and in harmony, not to be in isolation. But what does the serpent do in verse 1 of chapter 3? He's subtle. And he reaches the woman when she's in isolation, when she's on her, her own. I shouldn't say isolation necessarily, because the man was nearby, but he gets her on her own. And then he begins to seduce her. And Satan is no different today than he was anciently. He's a deceiver. He's a seducer. He believes in isolating us to weaken us and to destroy this natural union that God has created. And he's patient. He'll wait. So I believe, brethren, that 2020 was just setting the stage. And if we are falling behind in terms of our adaptation to the new world, you know, I, I do a lot of consultation in the sales world. And you have many salespeople who cannot stand not being able to visit customers. 
And they're basically just running on this sort of low boil until the world gets back to normal. And I've got to kind of shake up and say, this is the new normal, you know, and, and, and maybe it's going to even get worse than this. So you need to adapt now. You need to find ways to engage your customer now. If you don't adapt, you're going to be left behind. And I think it's the same thing spiritually. If we see brethren sort of dropping off and saying, I'll wait until you're meeting in person, and then I might show up again. That is exactly what Satan wants. He wants us isolated. He wants us separated. And 2020 was just the setting of the stage. It's like a chess game. And we're now moving into the middle game. And then from the middle game, we move into the end game, and then it's checkmate. Satan is patient. And brethren think, oh, I'm okay, I'm all right. And we don't understand what he's doing. So we need to be adapting rapidly so that when the horses come, we can still run with the horses. And so 2020 was setting the stage. Who knows what's coming in 2021? And we have to look at our marriages, brethren, because the marriage is the building block of the whole community, the whole world, really. And, and the, the scripture warns us as a, of a Jezebel spirit in the end time. And so if there's a Jezebel spirit in the end time, which is this sort of wear the pants, take control kind of feminine uh, spirit that is more masculine in nature, then there's an Ahab spirit, which is a man that's more feminine in nature. And when women end up wearing the pants in any relationship, they end up despising the man and then respecting other men outside of their marriage because it's natural for a woman to want a real man. So we need to get our marriages right. We need to get our families right. We need to get our households right. We need to get our congregations right before we can make the world right. So I mentioned again, there's a lot of domestic abuse, uh, and certainly in the world. We hope not in God's church, but it would not surprise me if there was. And again, just if there is, there, there's always help. You just need the courage to reach out, whether it's a you know, 1-800 number or a website or a friend. To say, look, here, here, because people can act. People can put on a great act when all kinds of stuff is going on behind the scenes. And this sort of people being in lockdown, instead of rejoicing in having more time together, many are just getting on each other's nerves and don't know how to engage each other and, and, and become stronger in their marriage as a result of the proximity of living together in the home, all, you know, not going out to work necessarily. But I want to look at an example of a very strong marriage. It's in 1 Samuel 1. 1 Samuel 1. Let's look at this example, not just of the marriage, but of the household. Again, the premise being that God has given us marriage and family as a building block. And if we don't understand it, if we don't get it right, we're not going to be effective tools for God because the new world that we're going into is going to be built with these building blocks which we have to understand and be able to teach. And whether we're married or not, we need to understand marriage. And all of us are members of households and families. And how we engage in our households and families is going to influence our perception of the household of God. What is our perception of the household of God? Because if we don't get that right, the prophecy is against us. That brother will betray brother of the same household. In 1 Samuel 1 and verse 1, Now there was a certain man 
of Ramathayim Zophim of Mount Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. So this is a righteous man. He's in a polygamous relationship. Uh, at this time, polygamy was not outlawed, although in the Christian era, it became outlawed to the point where if a man had two wives, he's not to be considered for the ministry. And Christ made it clear to them that this was not the way it was designed from the beginning, but Moses uh, had allowed this, uh, polygamy, uh, divorce, etc. So this man had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Now, the order is important. He names Hannah first, because we're going to understand that she is barren. Well, it says right here, and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. But Hannah is mentioned first, then Peninnah, then Peninnah is mentioned first when it comes to children, then Hannah. Uh, and I think the implication here is that Hannah was the first wife, but she was barren. And just as Abraham then had found a solution to have children, to have a seed, to have a line, uh, Elkanah had to go and had to have another wife in order to have children. So that worked. Peninnah had children. And this man, this man went up out of his city annually to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. So this is a, this is a righteous worshiper of Jehovah. And every year he was faithful to go and sacrifice unto the Lord. And then, sort of as an aside, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now, these are evil men. These are, these are men that, these are the footmen, the false priests, the false prophets, the false teachers that are having their way and succeeding. And God, is, God has a solution. And so, just as an aside, while these men are doing their evil, God is bringing about a solution. And we must always know that, brethren. That God is always working a solution. And when the time that Elkanah, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. He considered all of them, the sons and the daughters. He gave them portions so they could enjoy the, the wealth that he had. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. So this, he loved her. There's a deep marriage, marital relationship here. And he really treasured her. But she was barren. And notice, this is, this is a household. This is his household. But within the household, she has an adversary. Her adversary also provoked her sore to make her, for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. So she comes in, she starts to have children, and she just really lords it over. Hannah. And, and again, just think of our own congregations, our own families. Are we functioning in a healthy manner with the household? Or are we like Peninnah, where we become adversaries within the very same household? And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore Hannah wept and did not eat. Now listen to verse 8. So she is deeply upset. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? And why don't you eat? And why is your heart grieved? And I love this. Am not I better to you than ten sons? So, so this is, you know, we have to go back in time. 
to see when a, a, a Hebrew woman could not have children. This is devastating. And this was a, truly a reason for her to be depressed. And Alcana, although he cannot necessarily fully understand the depth of sorrow that Hannah has, from his perspective, he's able to ask this question. Aren't I better to you than ten sons? Imagine that. Imagine what it's like to have ten sons. What a powerful mother you would be in Israel to have ten sons. And as far as Elkanah is concerned, the relationship that he has with her and how he treats her, he can boldly ask her this question. Aren't I better to you than ten sons? And that's a question for all of us men. Can, can we honestly ask, look our wives in the eyes and ask her, Ask them this question. Aren't we better to you than ten sons? This is the love affair that Elkanah and Hannah had. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now the Eli priest was sitting on the seat and so she was in bitterness of soul. Uh, and then you know he, he basically says what's going on and she explains to him what's happening. And he says basically, you know, may the Lord grant it as you have said. And so she sees that as an answer to God, that God is going to answer her prayer. So she gets up and she worships God. Now, um, in verse 19, they rose up in the morning early and worshipped the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Alkana knew Hannah, his wife. So he, he loved her. It was not just about having children, but in this case, the Lord remembered her. And God remembered Noah. We want, we want God to remember us. Here he remembered Hannah. Therefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of him of the Lord. And then in verse 21, he goes up again, all his house, his household, to offer unto the Lord at the annual sacrifice and his vow. But notice verse 22. <clears throat> Hannah did not go up. For she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. So notice she's saying to him, look, I'm not going up. Notice Elkanah's response. Listen, woman, you do as I say. It's going to be embarrassing for me. You better come. No, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems you good. Wait until you've weaned him. Only the Lord established his word. So the woman stayed and gave her son suck until he was weaned. You can just see how beautiful this marriage is between Elkanah and Hannah. And God ultimately working through Hannah, it's patience, it's understanding. God, God plays the long game. But I wanted to bring out here this, the beauty of this relationship and to encourage us, especially here in Ontario, as we're facing this lockdown, not everybody, but those of us who are uh, in, in, in our homes or working from home or not working, uh, to use this as an opportunity to build a strong marriage, to build a strong household, to establish healthy patterns of relating to one another. Because marriage is the key of God's vision. What do I mean by that? Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 gives us a, a, a glimpse into what God is doing. And why we must understand with depth and substance the marital relationship. Whether we're married or not. We all come out of this union between a man and a woman. And that union has a design to it that we have to understand because it's the basis of the new world. Jeremiah 31. And in verse 22, 
God says this. How long will you go about, O you backsliding daughter? If you, if you read the prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the anger that God has, the wrath, the fury that God has towards his people, it, it's frightening. Because it, it's, it's actually a reflection of the great love and hope that he has for them and how he did everything he could to set them up for success. And they took all the advantages he gave them and they betrayed him to his face and the anger he has toward them. And then he says this, How long will you go about, oh, you backsliding daughter, you treacherous daughter? How long are you going to do this? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. This is a new thing. This hasn't been done before. The Lord has created a new thing in the earth. What is this new thing? A woman shall compass a man. A woman shall surround a man. This is a marital relationship. This word uh, surround or compass is the Hebrew word sabab. Sabab. And it means to revolve around, to completely surround, to be about on every side, to to completely enclose. This is the new thing. What is this new thing exactly? Well, if we read further on, we see that the context of this new thing is the new covenant. Just read down to verse 31. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this is the clue as to what this new thing is. But to really understand it, we need to go to the end of the story. Let's just quickly go there in Revelation 1. Revelation 1, we'll just fast forward to the end of the story so we can understand what is this new thing that God is creating in the earth that requires the new covenant in order for him to do it. And how is it related to marriage? In Revelation 1 and verse 13, we read, And in the midst, in the middle of the seven candlesticks, In other words, surrounded by the seven candlesticks, the seven congregations, which comprise the whole church. In the middle of the church, the woman, surrounded by the woman, this new thing, one like the son, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. It's in understanding the concept of marriage, the institution of marriage laid down, in Genesis 2, and linking it to the end of the story in Revelation, that we gain this profound understanding of the importance of marriage in God's plan. You know, we all want this corrupt world to change, and all of us want to change the corrupt world. But there is an order of operations. There is an order of operations. And if we, if we look at this, we see that the individual has to change in order for the household to change. The household has to change in order for us to have congregations that change. And the congregations have to be healthy and strong in order to preach this message to Judah, to bring Judah to repentance, and then ultimately Israel and Judah will come together as one. And it's only when Israel and Judah come together as one that the world will change. But what I want you to notice in this, brethren, is that it starts with the individual and it ends with the world. But in the middle, the the, the pivot point is the koinonia, the fellowship. And it's not just fellowship, it's koinonia. It's 
it's a, it's like a a company where everybody in the company has shares. Everybody owns a part of the company, and we all work together to achieve the enterprise objectives. That it's it's the congregational community that is the transition point between the natural human being and the natural fellowship and social order of the human being and the spiritual human being who changes the world. It all begins with the, 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 the growing into a congregation, taking our understanding of family and bringing it down to the congregation or bringing it into the congregation. This is where human beings shift from merely being natural carnal humans to operating on the God level. That transition takes place at the congregational level. But it's rooted in the marriage and family level, which is rooted in the individual. So the healthy individual, individuals can create healthy marriages, create healthy families, can then take those individuals of those healthy households, put them in congregations to create healthy congregations that create Christ-like thinking that then succeed in the mission of harvesting and redeeming Judah and Israel and ensuring that they are set up in the right way in the new world to bring the whole world to God. So Christ is coming to marry us, not as individuals, but he's in the midst of congregations. It's, it's the, 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 the individual is merely a member of the body that is going to marry Christ. So we have to understand how we function in a body, not just individually. Let's continue here in Revelation 2. We've been doing quite a bit on the book of Ephesians. But here in Revelation 2, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the middle of the woman. These things says the one who is, that has created this new thing, where a woman compasses, encompasses a man. Man is Christ. The woman is the church. The church is made up of congregations. If we are going to be part of this new world order, the true new world order, it first starts with being part, a healthy part of the congregation, which is rooted in being healthy individuals who can create healthy unions and then bring that mindset into our congregations. He says, I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil. And you have tried them which say they are apostles and they're not and have found them liars. These are the footmen. And yeah, we can run with them. You have borne how you've borne and had patience. And for my name's sake, you've labored and you've not fainted. Nevertheless, there's something that's going to keep you out of the kingdom. I have something against you. What is it? You've left your first love. You came into the congregation. You had this agape. You had this charity. And then something happened. You became discouraged. The footmen wearied you. And you, became, you began to give up and to disengage. And for that reason, I cannot have you in the kingdom. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen. And repent. And go back to your, your agape. And do the first works. Or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of its place except you repent. In other words, you will not be a part of the woman that surrounds the man unless we repent and we re-engage in this agape. 
very quickly in Proverbs 14.1, just a very quick proverb. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house. We are part of the household of God. We are intended to be the woman that surrounds the man. And the wise woman builds her house. But the foolish pulls it down with her hands, with her own hands. This is your house. This is your house that should bring you joy. And you should be able to bring joy to the whole household. But like Penina, you, you destroy the household. You, you engage in what do the Germans call it? Schadenfreude. You take joy in the, in the misfortune of others. And you pull down your own household. And Christ says to us, look, if you've fallen from your first love, get back to building the household. And I'm just going to give you some, some scriptures here that talk about the love that we must have for the brethren. So jot them down and just take a look at them afterwards. First uh, Peter 1 and verse 22 talks about how we must have unfeigned love for the brethren. First Peter 3 and verse 8 says that we must love as brethren and have compassion on one another and be pitiful and be courteous. Are we being courteous? That's something we learn in our families. You know, parents teach children manners. And then those manners just become a part of us. We can't help but say please and thank you and I'm sorry. So when we come into the congregation, we have manners. But if we didn't grow up with that sort of training, well, we have to develop it. The command is be courteous. 1 John 3 and verse 14, John says we've passed from death to life. How do we know we've passed from death to life? Because we love the brethren. And Christ warns the, the church at Ephesus, look, if you've lost your first love, it's, 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 it's outstanding now. We don't know whether or not we have passed from death unto life. We may still be in death if we have lost our first love. But John says it's because we love the brethren that this is the confidence we have. And if you don't love your brother, you abide still in death. And in 1 John 3.16, he says this is how we perceive the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that really is the question, brethren. Are we, are we in this fight as if we understand this is for our lives? And if we have to give up our lives for the brethren, we're more than willing to do that. Because we have the example of Christ himself. And we are followers of the way. I think many of us don't realize that we're in a fight for our lives here. Satan is crafty. And all of these different uh, laws and legislation, it's all to prevent us from coming together and growing as a family, growing as a household, learning how to interact with one another and learning how to appreciate one another and how to leverage the gifts of each other and grow together as a healthy household. Understanding that we are growing into a marriage with Christ where we will surround a new thing in the earth where we as first fruits will surround the man and then bring in the fall harvest and then establish that fall harvest as the, the head nation over the whole earth so that the whole earth ultimately can come into relationship with God. Very familiar scripture, Hebrews 10 and verse 24, that we must consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. God wants us to provoke each other in a good way, not in a Penina way, but in an Alcana way. That you look at Alcana's example and you think, wow, I want to be like that. So we have a choice here. Are you Penina or, or Alcana? Am I Penina or am I Alcana? How are we provoking the brethren? 
by our good example and edification, or like Penina, through envy and, and strife. And then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is something we must not forsake. And unfortunately, you know, here locally, we have brethren that we haven't seen since, the, since March. And, and I pray, you know, that they would make the effort to embrace technology. We, we cannot ignore technology. We need to leverage it. We need to use it. And then we need to be ready to drop it. We can't be addicted to it. We can't just be worshipping technology the way the world does. We use technology while we can. Because we do not want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And when we pivoted here and began to uh, serve our brethren, our community online, we had no idea God would open up brethren from all around the world. And, and I just can't tell you enough, brethren, how much we appreciate your support, how much we appreciate your encouragement. You know, the letters, the emails, uh, the, the texts that I get, the, the WhatsApp messages. The, it's just wonderful to know that brethren really care about the word of God and are fully supportive. And even though we cannot see you, we cannot be with you, we're with you in spirit. But you have congregations, not all. But if you, if you do, be creative, be energetic. How can you engage your congregation? How can you strengthen your congregation? How can you, you know, in, in Revelation, with all the trouble in the different congregations, God never gives the instruction, leave that congregation and go to the one next door. We need to be pillars where we are. And we need to be engaged. And I would just ask you, brethren, if you have ideas as to you know, maybe things that you've seen, or things that you've done to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, or any ideas that you have, just go ahead and type them in the chat. And, and I can share them with, uh, with, we can share with each other. And then locally here in our after-sermon discussion, this is something else that we do after we have our service, we meet afterwards and we discuss what did we learn from the sermons. And, and what you know, different brethren perceive different things and hear different things and iron sharpens iron. And so that's something that we do. And then today, hopefully, we'll discuss amongst ourselves what else can we be doing to strengthen the congregations as that pivot point between the natural man and the supernatural man. That it is the congregation. That's where we pivot and take on the godlike nature. You know, for me, when we started this um, lockdown, I knew very little about uh, audiovisual. And this whole period has allowed me to transition and understand how to set things up in such a way so that we could continue this way of serving you as brethren and not have interruption of our services. And so we, we need to look at these obstacles as opportunities. You know, in the next 28 days here in Ontario, can we learn something new? Can we have stronger marriages and families? Can we be healthier? Can we, can we get more fit? Can we be stronger spiritually? Let's take these 28 days as a challenge. And can we in the next 28 days make our congregation stronger with zeal, with enthusiasm, rather than just, oh, well, and just this sort of passive disengagement as Satan sets us up for failure. Scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So let's figure out, brethren, because Christ tells us where our treasure is. That's where our heart will be. 
So if we're disengaging from the congregation, it means that we see that as our treasure. But if we are creative and proactive and innovative, it's because that's where our treasure is, because that's where our heart is. I read Second Thessalonians 1 during the Bible study. I know that not all of you follow us on the Bible studies, although we would encourage you to. It's just great to go through the scriptures line by line. Um, but just, uh, I'll just quickly touch on it again here. In Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, uh, Paul says that he is bound, he is obligated to thank God always for the brethren at Thessalonica. It's appropriate. Why? Because their faith grew exceedingly. And the agape of every one of you all toward each other abounds. So, and so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So, so while the brethren in this household of Thessalonica were being subjected to persecution, it was during that persecution that their faith grew and their charity grew and abounded toward they they loved each other more during this time of persecution so that when Paul heard about this they gloried about this household to the other households of God they were telling the other churches of God look what they're doing in Thessalonica can, can you do that brethren can we do that with our congregations and those of you who are isolated not in congregation and I know there are brethren that are isolated that will write to me that will phone me that you know, write to Murray engage Murray and, and there are other brethren that they're in touch with and I think that's it you know to be proactive Satan wants us to be passive and isolated God wants us to be active and engaged and so let's be thinking about how can we be active and engaged as we wind down, brethren, I want to go to Galatians 6. Just a couple more passages. In Galatians 6, he says here, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This can't be done, brethren, unless we're in relationship. If we are isolated, we have no idea of the spiritual welfare of our brethren. We have to be in relationship. So we cannot be forsaking assembly. He says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This way, where we are followers of the way. This way, as we follow the compass, we, we learn to bear one another's burdens. We try to figure out ways that we can support one another. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this is the danger of isolation. When we don't interact with brethren, you know, we can begin to think that I'm just so holy. I'm just, boy, am I really holy. I'm just such a holy man. <laughs> it's when you interact with brethren, and maybe they rub you the wrong way, and you realize, wow, why am I responding like that? Maybe they need your help. And you realize, wow, that could be me. I could be in that situation. Or maybe you just have strange ideas. And as you begin to speak these ideas out loud, there are brethren that say to you, come on, Adrian, come on, man. You really believe that? And then you're able to say, okay, well, maybe, okay, maybe I'm going too far here. So, so we need to be in community. We need to be in a relationship, lest Satan enables us to deceive ourselves. He uses us to deceive ourselves. But let every man prove his own work. We need to test our own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone 
and not in another. So there's a day of judgment, ultimately, when we stand before Christ alone. And we will be able to rejoice if we do not forsake our first love. For every man shall bear his own burden on, on that day. But in the meantime, God wants us to bear one another's burdens and have this agape, which begins at home. There's no point, you know, you see these people who are so nice to strangers. Meet somebody new and they're just, they're just all the charm in the world. And then you see how they treat their family, how they treat their wife or their husband. Best advice I ever got was from my father, who said to me, son, when it's time for you to be married, make sure you study how your future wife treats her, husband, treats her father because that's how she'll treat you. That was just brilliant advice. And when I met my wife, and I was like, wow, this is, I think this is it. I made sure I went to England. And I took my father's advice to see how does she treat her father and the respect that she had for him. And not just her father, but her brother and her whole... And to this day, almost 30 years later, I love going to the UK and seeing my wife interact with her, her family. And just how this, this big family just... They love each other and they interact so healthy and, and she's right in the middle of it. And I just love to observe it. It's like, that's okay, this is who I married. So, ultimately, we will stand alone with Christ. But God created us to be in relationships with others. And it's in those relationships with others that we develop the godly mind. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he shall reap. And then in verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. You know, don't get tired. We're running with the footmen. Don't get tired. The battle isn't even, hasn't even really begun. The, the real battle is coming. And we need to be in community, edifying and strengthening the body in love so that it can stand up in a muscular way to the adversary. So let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And we saw the example of Hannah, that she had actually the solution for Israel was Samuel. But she had no idea. She just had to be patient and, and wait on God. And God will come through if we faint not. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men. But remember, brethren, charity begins at home. So we do good unto all men, but especially unto them who are of the household of faith. There's no way that we can be prioritizing the average you know, natural human being over the supernatural human, the human that God is using to create a new thing in the earth that a woman is going to surround a man. So as we say goodbye to you now, brethren, on this last Sabbath service of the Roman year 2020, we're looking forward, we're, we're glad that God has opened this door for us to, to be in relationship with you in this virtual way. Some of you we actually do know, we have been able to visit you in the past, and who knows, hopefully in the future, we will be able to be with you again uh, in your congregations in the future, but who knows, maybe not. Maybe it's just we wait until we are all together when Christ returns. In the meantime, we are looking forward to continuing to serve you, brethren, through 2021 and beyond. And we are expecting new, brand new, unforeseen obstacles. And as we said, the ministry five years ago said the world is going to change dramatically. We need to be ready. <sighs> Has it ever. 
And now we're seeing, beloved brethren, you need to adapt. You can't, you can't just sit back. It's a new world. We cannot become obsolete. We've got to figure it out. We've got to navigate and help each other to navigate and bring our gifts and bring enthusiasm. That if I come into the congregation and I'm just constantly a drag, it's going to pull the whole congregation down. But if I come into the congregation and I'm engaged and enlightened and, and I want to edify and lift up and everybody's like that, it's the old question. You know, what kind of congregation would my congregation be if everybody in it was just like me? So God's, you know, Jeremiah was discouraged when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And we may also feel discouraged as we see as we're trying to do the right things and maybe we just keep facing these setbacks. Well, God didn't have sympathy with Jeremiah to say, yeah, you know, this was a big mission that Jeremiah was called to. And God was saying to him, look, man, if you can't keep up with the footmen, I, I need you to run with the horses. God needs us to run with the horses. And to do that, we need each other. No one person has everything. In fact, God distributes the gifts in such a way that we absolutely need each other. And then he places us in these congregations as it pleases him. So you are where you are because there's something that you must do where you are. And there's something that you can only receive where you are. But if all of us have this commitment to practice charity, to practice agape at home, physically in our homes, this lockdown is an opportunity for us to strengthen our homes, but also in our congregational homes. And those of us who are truly isolated to find a congregation that we can participate in virtually and reach out through the chats. And I did say I would look at the chat, actually. Let me just see if there are some thoughts and ideas just before I close here that I might be able to share with everybody. Um, okay, this is a great one here. Uh, Becca, thanks so much. And Becca, just a wonderful example of someone who's always at our service, virtual service early, welcoming everybody in. I think just looking at Becca's example, if we could all be like that, just come in early, fellowship, somebody new shows up, welcome them. Uh, that's great, and we thank you for that, Becca. And then any questions, she's quick to answer. She says, we just discussed quickly here. We think that Adrian said it all. Continue reaching out to brethren. Be proactive in serving the body of Christ. Volunteer yourself for service in the congregation. Absolutely. How many times do uh, brethren, um, you know, leaders are reaching out looking for volunteers, and like, it's, it's the same people doing the same work all the time? that, what is it, the Pareto principle, 80% of the work will be done by 20% of the people. That's in the natural state. In the supernatural state, the gifts are distributed severally as he wills. So no one person has all the gifts. It's all distributed. Because God expects every member of the body to produce. Um, then we say here, Encourage the participation of all brethren in sermon discussions. Pray together virtually over the phone. That's fantastic. Continue to work on your relationship with God and the family. And uh, Brother Gary Monksy, this is a great brother here. He's over in the UK, five hours ahead of us. I, I believe he's with us every single week. So really, really appreciate that. So that's great. And I think there may be some other uh, comments as well in the other uh, chat. So we'll look at those after. But I want to conclude where we began with our brother Eric where he read Malachi 3. And let's look at this now, having covered what we've covered and understanding this new thing that God wants to do in the earth and our part in it, that there's a way of Cain. And in the latter days, many are going to go the way of Cain. 
And then there's the way, the way of Christ. And when Cain was queried, where's your brother? He had attitude. Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? Am I my brother's keeper? Think of Joseph, who followed the way of Christ, who when he was queried, he came to understand that God has done everything that has happened, as much as my brothers meant it to me for evil. God meant it for good, because God set me up as my brother's keeper, that many could be saved as it is this day. And so who knows, brethren, what we're going through and why, but let's remain faithful, because we are our brother's keeper, and that means that charity begins at home. Let's end here in Malachi 3, as Brother Eric read earlier, verse 14. You have said, these are people of God, who when the world changes around them in such a way, it seems like if you serve God, if you keep the Sabbath, if you keep the holy days, uh, if you keep the dietary laws, you're going to be set back. And so there are brethren that are going to come to this conclusion. It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? They have become weary and they give up. So now we call the proud blessed. We look at what's going on and we see what Jeremiah saw, what Habakkuk saw, what the psalmists have seen, that the wicked seem to prosper. And so these brethren are looking at it and they conclude that the proud are blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They seem to be the ones getting ahead. They even tempt God and go free. Jeremiah says that they said, um, he, he will not do anything to us. He can't even see us. But there's another reaction. There's another group of people that are in the same situation. They're in the same condition, but they come to a completely different conclusion. These brethren, who are in the same situation, they are observing the same things. These are those that fear the Lord. And what did they do? They spoke to one another. They did not forsake the assembling of themselves together. And as they ensured that they assembled together, they were creative, they found different ways, and this is nothing new. The church has always had to do, find out different ways of ensuring they assembled together. The Lord listened and heard them. And just as he remembered Noah, just as he remembered Hannah, he remembers these brethren. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord. He honored this. This, you know, People looked and said, if you serve God, if you keep the Sabbath, the holy days, you worship Christ, you're set back. And there's a group of brethren that encourage each other to stay strong. And God observed it and remembered them. And this book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And how did he react? As he's building this new thing in the earth, he's creating a new thing in the earth that this woman will surround and encompass a man. How does he react as he's building this new thing based on the marital relationship? They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And that from from the beginning of the book of Genesis, it's all about the father seeking a bride for his wife. And the revelation ends with him finding that bride and that bride surrounding the man. And God says, I will spare him as a man spares his own son who serves him then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked. So it is a time of confusion. It's hard to tell right now. But God says it's going to be clear. The, 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 the fog will lift. And you shall again discern 
between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So this is where we are, brethren. We're heading into a time of intense battle with the spiritual forces. But we've studied the book and we've studied Ephesians recently. We understand the power that we have access to. And with this power, we can overcome every obstacle that the adversary or adversaries put in front of us. But it will require creativity. It will require engagement. And it will require agape love, which begins at home. Well, thank you, Pastor Agent, for another great sermon here, very practical, what to do and how to do in this difficult situation, in this horrible, severe lockdown that we all feel it here, not just in this part of Canada, but in many, many, many parts of the world too. And I know personally that many countries in Europe are affected by this severe shutdown and also in some other countries, Asia. And, you know, so as Pastor Agent said, we need to find a way. And I know it's very difficult when we, when we set in the same behavior, so to speak. It's very difficult to adapt. It's very difficult to change. And I, I'm a perfect example of that, that we have our own way and sometimes very difficult to change and to adapt. But we have to find the way. We have to be, we have to find some creativity, some engagement. And you know what? Sometimes we may experience suffering. But that's the part of the calling. So thank you, Pastor Agent, one more time for this great, very practical sermon for us here today. And I hope that we will find a way through this, especially for us here in Ontario. For part of southern Ontario, we'll be in this lockdown for the next 28 days. That we're going to find a way, at least, how to improve our relationship in our household. Charity begins at home. Thank you so much. So we'll have a closing prayer, which I'll do it here in a few seconds then. And after the closing prayer, we'll have a last closing hymn on page 161, Blessed Be the Tie, which, which conclude our broadcast here from Burlington, from Burlington and Ottawa congregations. So let's just bow our heads here and close the service in prayer. Father, first thing, as always, I just want to thank you, Father, that you that you always put the right leaders at the proper time, preaching the right message in the right season. Thank you so much for blessing us with today's message as we hear today, how important this message is for all of us. And we know how this pandemic is affecting everybody, even our families. And how can we, as the first fruits, as your children, how can we go and change the world around us, if we can't change ourselves, if we can't adapt to the new situations, if we can't change our families, it will be very difficult to change our worlds. So, Father, we ask that you will prepare all of us into this walk, no matter how difficult it will become. It is just the beginning, as we heard so many times. It is just the beginning. It's going to get way, way worse. It may not happen in the year 2021 or 2022. We don't know that. But we need to be fully prepared. And Father, we need to cultivate and grow this love in our household, in our congregational household, and in everywhere, show this agape love. 
to all of us. So thank you, Father, for another week. Thank you, Father, for another, another Sabbath. Thank you for another week, Father, that we are able, through this technology, to, to connect so many of brethren scattered throughout this world. And, Father, we ask for strength and we ask for courage, Father, through your Holy Spirit, that we are able to do even more. So thank you so much, Father, for all these blessings, everything, and especially your Son, in whose name, Father, we ask for all these things. Amen.